0: Welcome to Hunty Pod, where every episode is a journey into the heart of connection and transformative stories. I'm excited to bring you a story filled with innovation, regeneration, and the impact of small, meaningful actions. Joining us today is Kristen, known to her friends as Kiki, a pioneer in living consciously and with purpose. Kiki tackles life's challenges with environmental care. As the brains behind Choi and a web developer instructor at Le Wagon, she is much more than an educator. She's a forward thinker, applying her skills to make a difference in our environment and society. Her journey is a vibrant tapestry woven with threads of yoga, meditation, esoteric explorations, and a deep-rooted love for swimming, lentil doll, and even the simple joy of Minesweeper. Her favorite quote by Kurt Vonnegut, Worrying is about as effective as trying to solve an algebra equation by chewing bubblegum, perfectly encapsulates her approach to life. Pragmatic, yet whimsically insightful. At the core of Kiki's endeavors is Hoi, her brainchild that helps make organic waste recycling easy. Hoi simplifies composting, turning a routine chore into an effortless act of environmental stewardship. This initiative is a movement to bring us back into nature's cycles, where the waste nourishes the earth, ancient wisdom through modern coordination. So join us as we unravel a tale of how passion can lead to purposeful action, reminding us that every small step towards sustainability is significant. Together, we'll explore what it means to live consciously and how we can all play a part in a more connected, aware world. So, welcome to Pud. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's lovely to have you here. It's almost a full circle since we first met.
1: Yeah, almost a year ago, we sat at Nourished down the road. Yes. And I was like, oh, this thing's taking off. And I'm a bit too busy to actually do anything about it right now, mm. but let's chat in the future. And here we are a year later, finally ready to talk about it.
0: Yes, finally ready to have the chat. What a beautiful introduction. Thank you so much for oh, that. You're welcome. You're mm. welcome. So definitely from the little bit I know about you, shines just a little bit of a light in the exceptional human that you are. It's been just over a year since you kicked Hoi off. Mm. We're going to dive straight in there That's at good. the moment. <laughs> yeah. Over and above the introduction that I've given, can you, in your own words, tell us a bit about Hoi, how it came about?
1: Mm. Yeah, I'd love to. Well, where to begin? Mm. I mean, definitely, whimsical problem solving is such a such a fun way to think about it, mm. and it's been on my mind for as long as I can remember that there are big problems that need to be solved and that I'm sure that there are simple ways to solve them. And I never wanted my life to be burdened by small problems, right? I don't want each person to have to spend their days thinking about, is this the right thing to do or is this the right thing to do? We're faced with these challenges, these global massive challenges, and then I have to think about, should I buy this? Can I recycle that? And that burden is being placed on each person. And I always thought, surely there are systemic solutions. There are simple solutions that can remove all of that from the individual and solve these big problems in simple ways. I've spent quite a bit of time with farmers and I've spent a bit of time trying to grow things. And I know that, I know deeply that food is the crux of what it means to be. Alive, really. Like, Mm -hmm. where do we get our food from? And as a society, how do we organize that? And when you look at the problems facing us, the first one we need to ask is where is our food going to come from? How are we going to keep this system sustaining? So I was always quite fascinated by uh, farming and systems in general. And then trying to bring that into my own life in a little suburban way, I would grow my own veggies and and I just knew that throwing my offcuts of my veggies in the bin was a terrible waste of nutrients. So I used to mostly I bokashi which I can introduce a little bit, but it's a wonderful household option to contain all of your own waste. And then there's an enzyme that breaks down the organic matter without oxygen. So it doesn't smell bad. It takes very little space. And it's a wonderful solution for anyone who wants to take care of their own organic waste at home. So I was doing that for a while and living with housemates and struggling <laughs> with what are the rules and who left the bin open. And oh now it has maggots and whose turn is it to bury the waste and the general chore of taking care of waste, which is something that is part of life. So I was like, I know this is important and I keep doing it, but it's really not easy. And wouldn't it be wonderful if I just could give it to the people who are good at it i could just say here i've collected all of this waste for you you go you're the ones who are going to be planting things and creating the compost you need it can you just pick it up and take it and (laughs) that wasn't an option there was nothing like that Mm. and i had this thought in 2019 and i started putting together powerpoint presentations and doing research and looking at funding options and thinking like how can i make this a thing because if i care this deeply about it and it's difficult for me how will it ever be easy for the people who don't care about it as much as I, or don't realize, not don't care, but don't realize the importance of it? Mm. So I thought, this is clearly something that needs to happen. And then pandemic and life and everything went on its way, and a little folder stayed on my computer. I can't remember what I called it, Scrappy or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's still a folder called Scrappy, Scrappy. somewhere on my uh-huh. on my computer. Life went on and I became a, a coder. And along the way, I met Alfred. And Alfred was collecting solid waste from the restaurant outside my house, actually, and selling that. And that was how he made his money. So he was a, a recycling entrepreneur himself. I got chatting with him and what a character, what a wonderful man Alfred is. He really. Uh, I feel
0: like that's an understatement, but we're going to dive a little bit into Alfred. Also yeah, just we'll now. get into sure. Alfred. He's, he's an anomaly. He is, he is.
1: <laughs> and, and such a spark was lit when I met him. And this was 2022. And a few months later, the petrol price skyrocketed. There was that time where like the petrol price was going up every week or so. And I got a message from Alfred saying he can't cover the cost of his petrol by selling glass and plastic and paper anymore and if I know of any work please can I let him know and I just couldn't get it out of my head I was like this guy needs so much more than the odd jobs that I can hand him right now he needs something that can change his life I I don't normally stay awake thinking at night but for that period (laughs) I just lay awake being like what can I do for Alfred and one day it just snapped ah scrappy scrappy's still Mm -hmm. sitting there scrappy still needs to happen Alfred knows how to go up to people he knows how to run a route, take things from one place, drop it off. It's like the exact skill set that Scrappy needs. So I made a questionnaire. I sent it out on a bunch of neighborhood groups. And I said, hey, everyone, what do you currently do with your food waste? Would you like to have someone pick it up and take it somewhere where it can be made into compost? And would you be willing to pay for that service? And everyone who answered kind of seven and above on their on, would-like Someone to pick it up and said that they would pay more than 150 rand a month. I emailed and I said, I can drop off a bucket next week. Mm. And a week later, I will come and pick it up. And we can just start the service right now. And that was December 2022. And I think you were one of the first people who joined right back then. Yes,
0: probably first 10. Yes, I think in the
1: first, maybe in the first week I came found your uh-huh. house and dropped your little bucket off. You got one of the yellow ones, which yes. is from the first round. <laughs> They're white now. I've always wanted them to be yellow. So mm. you you got the original. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I did the route myself and checked that everything worked. And then I said, cool, Alfred, from January, let's go. I will pay you a daily rate. I drove with him the first time. These are the houses. I printed out on a piece of paper. Please fill in how many bags you collect from each house and what time you get there. And let's you know. Mm. <laughs> and he was into it and I was into it. He drove my car. He had been using his Bucky for his business, but the fuel price was still too high on such a large vehicle. So he drove my car and week by week, more people signed up. Mm. And so those five or so people in December 2022 are now about 90 people across Cape Town and uh, Alfred is now being paid regularly to work three days a week. So he actually has some sort of an income. And the goal is to get him working at least five days a week. He would probably take more because he's a, a hard <laughs> worker. But get him to five days a week and then find more Alfreds, you know, and find more people who, who want good work. Uh, meaningful work that is actually helping. I think that's a huge part of it is he gets to meet all of these people and he's he's offering the service people want and he gets to have this touch point and be doing work that um, has value and is reliable. And in my great vision, Alfred is going to be running the whole show wow. one day. Yeah,
0: Incredible. And you gave a beautiful analogy just now about riding two horses. <laughs> and I'm bringing this up because... It's relevant for speaking into this. So, the two horses that you are currently riding at the moment is teaching coding. Yeah, just vastly different from a business like Koi. Yeah. So, maybe you can just bring this bring this analogy to life. So, before I started
1: Koi, I also yeah I had a whole life before this. <laughs> in addition to working in the climate change space, I then travelled and I worked as a kind of a writer, editor, proofreader, and I knew that wasn't really going anywhere. A friend of mine had done this coding course and he always had like a little niggle in my head that maybe I could code. I love maths and I love systems and coding's cool. Like people who can code are like, there's a little bit of a (laughs) academic pillar that you could put them on. And so I kind of wanted to know if I was one of those people. Mm. And I was absolutely terrified. I said to myself, I'll do the the prep work for the course. And if it's really difficult, then I just won't do it. (laughs) I'll see what's happening with Choy and we'll make something happen. And I did the prep work and I got to the first question where I didn't know the answer. And everything in me wanted to run away and be like, I don't want to admit that I don't know this. And something else said, you're allowed to not know this. It's Mm -hmm. actually okay to not know this. You're not supposed to know this. If you don't know it, it means that there's something you can learn here. And that pause saved everything. And I said, okay, cool. Let me lean into it. I'm going to just sign up. I'm going to do this course. And I'm going to allow myself to be a student again. So that was September 2022, before Hoi was uh, a fully fledged horse, it was a spreadsheet and uh, a survey and so the course actually unlocked a lot of a lot of things for me, it allowed me to be new at something and I think that that also allowed me to, to be new at running a business, I had never done it before and I just thought, okay cool, if I can take this course day by day, then I can take running a business day by day, I don't have to know all the answers now, I just have to know what the next step is And I loved learning to code, and Mm -hmm. I loved the environment of people. It's a nine-week intensive boot camp, so you have to put everything else on hold. So I was in the first batch of the boot camp in Cape Town, so they needed local staff. And I was like, cool, I'm happy to help out with the next batch. And at least then I have a little bit of an income, and I get to keep learning the techniques that I've just learned. And I can give some time to Ghoi on the side. I loved that so much, and I loved explaining things and helping people understand and watching them grow so the next batch came around and I was teaching and the next batch and I've been involved with every batch I teach but almost half the course now it's also so yeah so then this this boot camp is new and I really wanted to do well so it's this racing horse that I'm holding on tight and it's also just there's momentum there's people every week who need me to show up for it and Alfred needs me to show up for it and so yeah I have this metaphor of holding on to two horses I have a leg on each one and they are galloping along and I'm so grateful because we're covering so much ground but sometimes I'm like oh my gosh am I ever going to be able to let go like where how does this change I can't I can't lift one foot off either of them but I don't want to at this point I'm so happy that they're going and I think this year is going to be more about bringing in more people who also want to ride really fast and also want to go really far
0: incredible And there was something that you also mentioned, which I thought was quite profound. And it definitely speaks to the social impact that you also wish to bring about in life. And that was that ultimately you'd be able to teach Mm. other people to be able to ride these horses. Mm. And that component is really beautiful because I kind of figure that that's what you're doing with Alfred. You know, he, he has his way about him already, but you're able to impart the knowledge that you have from... The many accolades that you have, Mm. I mean, to name a few, was that you have a degree in animal, plants and environmental sciences from the University of Witwatersrand in Johannesburg, a Master of Science degree in climate change and sustainable development from the African Climate and Development Initiative at the University of Cape Town. Mm. So, I mean, you've definitely got that academic Mm. component to you and then being able to translate that into people who you are giving opportunity to I mean Mm. what an incredible feat
1: yeah thank you and I'm reflecting now hearing you say that at how when I got into academics it was kind of to hide from people In, in my heart I really wanted the world to be a better place for everyone including humans but I found the human dimension really scary, really unpredictable and daunting. So I focused on the sciences. It's like this world I can make sense of. And by the end of my honors degree, I realized that no change was going to happen unless I spoke to humans, Mm. unless we were all part of this journey, unless we all understood what was happening. And I just (laughs) white knuckled and applied for a climate change course because I knew that in particular, the ACDI is is multidisciplinary. So it is all about bringing information from all of the different aspects, from all of the sciences, the humanities, from every field to try and solve these problems. And I was like, okay, fine, I'm going to have to deal with the the whole messiness, not just the the neat stuff where we can say this is happening by this many degrees or these animals are moving to this place and that place and it's kind of neat. In all of those studies, it was like because climate change, because climate change, But what were we actually doing about that? So that's when I finally decided to not be so scared of it. I was very lucky to do um, my master's thesis with the Mpondor people in the Eastern Cape. And yeah, I went out there thinking I was going to find the solution to climate change. I really I really thought so. I thought I was going to find that they had some crops that grew despite the change, that were resilient to the changing climate and that the answer was going to be there. And I got there and I realized that they don't have time to even think about that because they are just dealing with surviving. Mm. They're dealing in particular there with fighting off imposed development from mining companies who want to come and mine titanium from their land. And it was just undeniable that nothing is going to happen unless humans' basic needs are taken care of mm. so that we can work. It is a closed system. And it's just so clear to me that we are dependent on on nature and Nature's dependent on us. If we can't take care of ourselves, if we can't work with her, we inevitably deplete her, and her being depleted depletes us. So there's there's no sense in not dealing with this whole system, with Mm. the human aspect and the environmental, the natural aspect. So I did that for a while, and then it went a little bit too much into the project management and the spreadsheets (laughs) and things like that, and I didn't feel like I was getting my hands into anything useful. I mean, the stuff, the work that I got to do was incredible. I worked on the Future Climate for Africa program, which was, I think to date, the largest investment in climate science in Africa. I was coordinating and helping researchers who were looking at improving climate forecasts for five to 40 years for Africa and getting that information used by decision makers so that we can better say, where can we plant things? How should we manage floods in cities? So many different ways where climate information is needed to make decisions, because at the end of the day, the people need to survive. Yes. And again, because of this interplay, if we don't survive, then we're going to just take everything down with us, really. Hmm. So more and more, I started moving towards understanding that it comes down to people, no matter what scale it's on. In fact, the smaller the scale, I don't want to say the more impact, but... But the more clear the impact. And when there's clear impact, then you get feedback and say you can say, okay, this is working or not. I felt really in the gray area thinking about these things we were trying to do that made some impact over 40 years. I might spend my whole life working on that thing and then in 40 years find out mm, I should have lent a little bit that way. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I do small things every day, I can tomorrow I can say, okay, I needed to deal with that a little bit differently. And, and the feedback is quicker. And so I can feel my change happening, yeah, day by day. And... And then at some point, some another thing clicked in me and I just said, we need to employ our friends. Mm. People need an income. People need to be able to feed themselves. So I had on the one hand, these mega problems that need to be solved, global, environmental, systemic, and on the other, a human who needs to survive and so now I'm just like, how many people can I employ? How many people can we find good work for? Because there is no shortage of work that needs to be done. Mm. There is no shortage of work that needs to be done, right? There is just room for improvement everywhere I look. And I I think the the Kurt... It's actually... That, that quote comes into the sunscreen song, which is a great one.
0: Yes. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, where is <laughs> sunscreen? Exactly.
1: <laughs> if I could offer you only one tip for the future. <laughs> but I worried about these things for so long. I worried and I let the weight of it hang heavy on me. And I looked around and I felt desperate at how much needed to be done. And that worry did nothing except oppress me. The weight of it depressed me, pushed me down, and mm-hmm. made me feel anxious and unhappy with myself because I wanted to be doing something and I didn't know what to do. And it was as effective as trying to solve an algebra equation <laughs> by chewing <bug, laughs> bubblegum. It got me no it got me absolutely nowhere except down. And Choi has been honestly a a torch, wow. an absolute torch where I can say, I just need to be brave enough to take a step and find people who are willing to take a step with me and trust them and then let, I have this image of like the moths come to the flame. This, this work is, is obvious. It has to be done. We cannot keep sending nutrients, taking nutrients out of the ground, healthy, good, whole nutrients out of the ground and putting them into a landfill yeah. where they become toxic. A system cannot work like that. If you continue to extract from a system, it will collapse. We need to be putting back into the system so it can work in the cycle that it was originally uh, built as. It, It evolved in that way. It only works because pieces come together. They make more and more complex things. You know, so little nutrients in the ground come together, they form parts of the root, they send that in nutrients up. We either eat the root or the plant or whatever. We eat some part that is now a complex piece. And then that um, needs to go back and be decomposed into the little pieces so that the small things can rebuild it up again. And at the moment, we allow the one half to happen. The building comes up, 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 up. We take that whole thing and we just throw it somewhere else. Yeah, And nothing can happen with it. You know, it sits in a landfill and actually makes the groundwater toxic and emits greenhouse gases. And we're running out of landfill space. And there are just so many problems that home (laughs) composting solves.
0: That's true. I mean, there are so many problems that need solving in general. And the spark of insight with bringing about home composting is, it really is incredible. And it's empowering, not just for... People like Alfred, who you are employing and giving opportunity to. But I kind of feel like many citizens are stuck in this form of inertia, going back to kind of what you said just now, is that if you're looking at all these problems in the world, where do you start? And people don't either have the capacity or the know-how or because they're looking at everything on such a big scale, it depresses them. And they don't really know what steps to take. And so they don't take any. Mm. In a world where you're not really taught to think outside of a box per se, throwing everything into a dustbin and letting Mm. someone else take care of it or not even letting it, it's just no thought process of like, where's this going? People are picking it up and I don't have to think about it. So empowering people with a solution where they get to firstly, be a bit bit more mindful about what they're throwing away because often it has like a catapult effect like oh if I'm not throwing my kitchen scraps away in the the bin anymore then what am I throwing away in the bin and and, oh maybe recycling is born from that and there's also a rise in recycling in South Mm -hmm. Africa at least but we are a couple years behind but the composting really does empower people to just plant that one seed of hope that gives them a bit of power back into their lives to go okay I am doing something and you've made it easy for me. So firstly, thank you for that. Absolute pleasure. <laughs> it's great. I, I When I first saw it, I jumped at it because I initially wanted the Bukashi system and Ellis was saying no because he doesn't want rats. And if you've got something that's sitting and festering and you're not really using it optimally, there's the potential for that. So mm-hmm. allowing someone the opportunity to... Give their scraps away, have it picked up weekly, and then for that to go back into the soil. I mean, that is a circular economy, and I am all about trying to find circular economies in life. And mm. just to go back to the little gift that you brought about in December over mm. Christmas time was that when Alfred came to pick up our choik weekly composting, we got a bag of compost from what we had given, and I absolutely love that. Yeah, it was that was brilliant. really
1: special. Yeah, it was a, also a little idea all of a sudden. I was like, oh, so obvious, so obvious. And and I really wanted to thank everyone because I love that I'm offering something that, that people want. One of my favorite things is that I get emails from people being like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy to find the service. I've mm. been wanting this. And I'm like, I'm finding the people who understand the importance and, and growing that awareness. And hopefully it's just going to keep growing. And I also really think... Once you start, once you've separated your food waste from your your normal waste, even for one week, Mm. it's so hard to go back.
0: There ain't no going back. (laughs) There's no going back. And that's why
1: why I don't feel like I really need to advertise or push things too much because as soon as you try it, you're going to – if you go and visit your friend and you have to throw your banana peel in the bin, it's like, oh, what. Yeah. Don't you have somewhere better that I can put this? It exactly. shouldn't be going there. She has a know? gift for
0: your birthday, a subscription to Hoi. <laughs> yeah.
1: We had one customer who bought her sister a a Hoy subscription and that for me was also just such a a landmark moment of someone is valuing this so highly mm-hmm. that they want to gift it to someone else. Yes. You know? What a compliment. So it's a question I get a lot is do people get their compost back? And why don't you why don't I do that? And there's a few reasons. The one is that it's not up to me to decide that everyone wants soil. Mm -hmm. You might want to give me your things because you realize soil is important. But if you live in a small apartment or just not into gardening yourself, there's no need for me to create this other part of the circle that hasn't been required or requested. So that's kind of the one part of it. More importantly, I see the compost as a donation to the farmers. So... The majority of our compostable waste goes to Soil for Life in Constantia mm. and they are an NGO who teach people how to grow their own food and how to make their own compost. And they have gardens across the Cape Flats in some of the poorest areas and they teach communities, that they give communities the agency to be able to grow their own produce. Sure. And I think about the Cape Flats all the time and... It's a dust bowl. There's just sand, there's beach sand across the whole thing. Mm. And, and it is filled with farmers. The people who've come from all over the country, gr- who grew up growing their own vegetables, and now live in a place with the worst soil quality probably in the country. Mm. So I can't think of anything better than all of the food waste going to teach people how to make their own food. And to be able to nourish the soil of the strongest people in our nation who are under the hardest circumstances. So if you do want your compost back from us, you have to buy it.
0: Yeah, that's great. (laughs) And is that an option on your website now? It is, yeah. So you can buy a bag of
1: compost from Soil for Life. So it is the compost made um, through your contributions. And Alfred will drop it off the next time he comes around.
0: Incredible. Yeah. And it's
1: about 70 rand a bag and they're huge. It's not a huge expense. Yes. And... If you were to get a bag like that once a month, they would, it would all go to waste, really. It's too much compost to use. Hmm. So in the future, one day, we would like to make our own kind of little bespoke, high quality for your pot plants and for your your house yeah. soil that, that would be kind of hoi branded. But I've got bigger fish to fry first. Yeah. Feeding being the other one. So the other part of closing the circle, we, we've faced quite a um, few challenges with People want to leave their bag outside for Alfred to pick up quickly, which is fantastic. But in the city, there are a lot of people who will pick up that bag. They yes, I've experienced that. There's, that. There's, there's potentially food in there and they will go through it. And that breaks my heart so much that there's mm. someone who will go through really sometimes moldy, sometimes slimy, to find a little bit of a carrot top or something. So when I have time mm. or or more hands, because time is multiplied by by people's attention, mm. I would like to close that circle as well. And a good friend of mine who's helped me every now and then with with khoi, he came up with the the kind of phrase that it never stops being food, right? It never stops being food. It's just that the form that we're taking it from you in is not the food we want to eat. But there's people, it, it's food the soil wants to eat, yes. right? It's food that the little guys, that, that's what we refer to them as, the little, the little guys, guys in the soil, yes. you know, the little dudes in the soil, they want to eat that food. It never stops being food. It's just not human food anymore. Exactly. Right? And I really want to help the people who would take that food. And give them actual food. Hmm. So we're going to close that circle at some point too. I've got a lot of circles that Great. N- need to be closed.
0: Well, yeah. it sounds like a good little seed to be planted. And I'm sure that mm. even from this conversation and the conversations that you're having around it, is that it gives it the opportunity to grow into something mm. through further inputs or whatever it may be. But you're definitely sparking some uh, light bulb above my head here. Amazing.
1: So. Yes. Bring, yeah. bring it all. And that's another thing that you touch on with me wanting someone else to ride this horse is is I have a, a sense of ownership of Hoy at this point because I'm a custodian of this system that is being set off and I want it to do really well. And so I will stay as involved as I need to to make that happen. But I feel no sense of like ownership. It's not mine. It's a system that needs to be fixed. And I just happen to be the one who has stepped up at this point and in this place mm. to do something about it. And anyone else who wants to help is absolutely welcome. For example, there's someone now collecting food waste in Musenberg and taking it to a little farm there called Fregrond. I haven't done it yet, but I'm very tempted to say to all of my customers in Musenberg, hey, there's someone there who's going to do it for you. The goal isn't for me to get as many customers as, as I can. The goal is to get as much food waste into the ground as soil and not into a landfill. Mm-hmm. However, that needs to happen is how it needs to happen. And, and if we can make amazing livelihoods along the way and if we can offshoot whatever other amazing growth and correction Mm. once upon a time all soil went straight into the ground all food waste went straight into the ground before there were garbage trucks somewhere somewhere just a little step was taken in a different direction and if we can go and kind of bring it back into a place where we can more contribute to the betterment of our systems I'm all for it and I think yeah, I think there's just so much good, exciting work to do. And I want more people to come and help mm. me do this work so I can get get started on the next one.
0: Yeah, big respect to being a custodian. And some of the, the best people that I've met recently are not just adopting that mindset, but embodying it. So really allowing for the work that they're doing. And it's highly impactful work, not for the sense of Ownership, or this is my business, and I've made the change. It's a complete eradication of the ego element mm. of that, and I know through the which you've done, mm. it really does dissolve that element of the ego, or just peel away the layers, can be able to kind of break down that and allow for that element of custodianship. And I really feel like we are moving towards new paradigms where that is going to be a new way of working.
1: Mm, I really hope so. I, I feel it as well, mm. as, as we were saying earlier. Mm. I was once lucky enough to to be in a talk with someone who had sat with the Vermont uh, stake, stakeholders. And Vermont, at some point, was able to move from kind of a industrialized society to a totally renewable, right? And he was sharing his lessons from working with those stakeholders and the main thing he said that got everyone from holding their own ideas about what needed to happen for the state was to agree on a goal that moved all of them forward and for vermont it was sovereignty they wanted to be able to control their own resources and not be dependent on other states right and this just comes to mind now when you say that is if we can all focus on our shared goal as long as we're moving towards that goal i will play whatever role i can to move us in that direction mm. i just happen to be able to play this one now and if i'm needed in another role if if i'm called into another, another space or if someone can take my role and do it better than i can then that just helps us all reach that goal helps me reach that goal yeah so it's um a big a big thing for me is is focusing on those bigger goals not that big goal is what is what I care about. That's the
0: driving force. That's the
1: driving force.
0: We had a chat before we jumped onto the podcast and we are moving into a time of radical collaboration. Mm. And that is about doing things together. It is about using your skill set and your resources and my skill set and my resources to drive results. And I feel like the time of gentle activism mm. Possibly a thing of the past, we need to be a bit more warrior-like in the way that we are doing things and take the systems and the structures of the past few years, which have served its purpose, and now move into the space with goals, Mm. flow, and togetherness, coming Mm. together to drive these results Mm. forward. Um, I think respect plays a a
1: big part in that as well. It's like really respecting that each person brings something to the table.
0: Kudos, yeah, yes. Yeah, and yeah. the more we respect, firstly, ourselves, mm. our voice, the more we respect each other and each other's voices and each other's capabilities. Mm. And that filters through into our respect for the earth. Mm. Um, so fundamentally trying to formulate things off of respect is a very good basis and mm. a very good structure to hold mm. the kind of drive forwards. Mm.
1: Yeah, I'm in total reverence <laughs> and respect and devotion to the natural systems mm. that that allowed us to get to where we are today and i would say i'm also in huge respect and reverence and devotion for the human spirit and i think that that's kind of been lost not entirely lost but crowded out and covered up with so many other distractions and a lot of noise pretty much over the last hundred years maybe but the human spirit is just so beautiful everyone just actually wants to be well and wants the people that they love to be well and if you just start there actually you probably would cover the whole globe if if I want everyone I love to be well and they want everyone they love to be well Mm. and we just go and go and go and go and go there's just there's no end to to what we can really achieve, because yeah, it's people a won't give up. Effect. You know, people won't give up for the people that they love. Mm. Yeah,
0: you use the word lost, but the word that comes to mind for me is remembering. Something I'm, I'm strongly trying to live my life by is remembering the way that we did things many years ago, before we were swarmed with distractions and a consumerist sort of world. Mm. Like everything is already within, mm. and how do we access that? It's by becoming more still it's by actively listening it's by sensing things and being able to find that dialogue from within and then move from that space mm.
1: and and to take it one step outside of the self also just within the home to be observant of what i need and what i create in my immediate surrounding once upon a time there was no distraction for, from that you if you needed something you had to look around you to mm. your family to your friends to your neighbors to your own garden to find it and you had to put in the effort to get it and once you were done with it, whatever was left you had to deal with there was no someone else you speak of it really in in terms of kind of the spiritual self and that's reflected in the home. Completely. So so we're trying to find a way to make it easy for you to do that as well to just take that little step to being aware of what you bring into your home and how you send it out of your home as well.
0: Amazing. Mm. And I think... Something that is wrong with modern day society is that due to overpopulation, our soil quality is terrible because we have been over farming and we haven't been giving back Mm. to the earth. And we've been depleting our resources at such a rapid rate that we actually are malnourished as a nation or we need two, Mm. three times the amount of, Fruits and vegetables that we once did because there's no nutrients in our soil. So what we are eating is lacking in nutrients. And Ghoi is at the moment a blip on that radar, but mm-hmm. it really is a movement that is planting these seeds of hope and Bringing the nutrients back into the soil brings the nutrients back into our body, mm. brings the nutrients back into life. And so, mm. if you're looking at things again from just outside of the spiritual self and around us, we need to find a way to nourish our lives again mm. and, and nourish our, our bodies, our minds, our souls. And that comes with giving back mm. to the earth what we take
1: mm. and putting things back in their right place. Mm. That's right. Really, Touché. Yeah, putting things back in their right place, mm. which is something my dad, I've just thought about this now, but my dad was always like, if you borrow something, you put it back where you found it.
0: Uh-huh. You know? <laughs> Good old dad's and their wisdom. <laughs> yeah. My dad had the, there's a place for everything and everything in its place. Right. You <laughs> see, and they, they
1: speak so well to each other. And like you said, a lot of people just don't know. We're not informed and we never have to think about it. And, and so now I'm trying to yeah, make it easy. Like you can put this in the right place. Yeah. There is a right place for it. And let me help you put it. So actually, our, our dads have given yeah. us the exact Thanks, knowledge Pops. that we need it right now. <laughs> yeah, I'll put it in its right place. Can
0: yeah. I interject yes. there? Now we're talking about putting things in its right place, mm. right? And I mean, even myself as an avid choya mm-hmm. is I still have certain question marks. that's like, oh, can this go in the compost? Yes. or? should it not and nice. I'd love to know what are some definite no's okay because that could obviously then be mm-hmm. detrimental or, yeah. to the composting yeah. process and throw, it's right
1: yeah I throw everything out of whack yeah compost piles are actually a really delicate little ecosystem in and of themselves so I'm glad you asked this question but I must admit it's it's one I kind of hate because it's also not always clear-cut what is okay and what isn't okay and I'll speak a little bit more about it in a moment, but to start off with, in our hoy buckets, no meat products at all, and yeah. no dairy products at all, and no oil. So the the packaging says all raw fruit and veggie offcuts, eggshells, some tissues, coffee grinds. There's a big question about tea bags, and this is the messiness that we're in in general in the world these days. So the example with tea bags is such a good one. Most tea bags, unless they say they're compostable on them. Are heat sealed with a kind of a plasticky resin, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that that is required so that it can get to hot enough temperatures and the tea bag stays together. So technically, we wouldn't really want that little bit of plastic to go into the into the compost pile.
0: Or in our bodies, for <laughs> <laughs> that matter. In, or in our bodies, yeah, it <laughs> seeps yes. into the water that yeah. we're drinking. Well.
1: Maybe it doesn't because it's able to withstand hot enough temperature, so maybe it's fine. But hmm, I yeah, think the jury's out there. The jury's, but we can go back the to the compost. Out, exactly. <laughs> but then there's other people who say there's there's microplastics in the air at the top of Everest. Right. So mm. what is the value of the contents of that tea bag in the compost pile versus the risk of the little bits of plastic that are getting in there? And we don't really have clear answers for that. Mm. Like, is it better for that to go into a landfill? and produce some methane? Or is it better to go into the earth? And we're going to have to deal with some of these little microplastics that are everywhere anyway. So that's one job I don't want to be, is to be like the decider of mm-hmm. what's right and wrong in those situations. Ideally, you could te- tear your tea bag and put just the okay. the, the in- innards, <laughs> the into, innards. The, into the compost <laughs> yeah. um, bucket, and the rest should go into the landfill. So no meat, cooked food sparingly. If it's not cooked with a lot of oil or a lot of spices so if you roasted some veggies and they're not super oily and they haven't gone moldy then it's fine bread broken up into pieces fine cooked pasta as long as it's not the whole bucket full because we want the compost pile to to kind of have a bit of diversity and mixture if you have one big clump of anything anywhere it's going to take longer for that to break down so far we have not had any complaints from soil for life from any of the waste that's gone there we did have one caterer who occasionally sent like twenty-five liter bucketfuls of cooked rice, for wow. example. Right. And that's just there's there's another problem that's happening there if that's if that's the case. It's yeah. not just about that being difficult for the compost pile to deal with. It's it's and this is the other thing about hoy is it makes you realise what you're throwing away. Why have you got so much of this thing? And Definitely. how are you dealing with it? So I've made a little do's and don'ts. I'll share it with you personally <laughs> I'm I'm only a decent horse rider, okay? So there are lots of little jobs that kind of fall by the wayside and some bigger jobs that I'm focusing on, one being building the actual app for Joe mm. for And I talk about that, but it's mostly been for Alfred. So it's been internal. How do we manage our systems? Where, where does he need to go in a day? How much does he collect from that person's house? What time was he there? How long are our days taking? How many uh, buckets of compost are going to Soil for Life each week? Things like that. So... I've been more focused on those internal systems and when I have my next burst of energy to do another round of coding, then I will make that the front end for the user side so that ideally you should be able to sign up on our app and then easily just say, pause me this week, frequently asked questions, order another roll of bags or another bucket or whatever. So mm-hmm. in the next few months, I would say in the next couple months, I'm hoping to launch the, the user side app I've been building the back end for Alfred. And mm-hmm. as my friend and once coding teacher said is I'm I'm an adequate back end developer. I'm not a very good front end developer. So all of you hoy customers, if anyone hears this, I apologize if my front end is not mm. <laughs> super clean and polished.
0: But mm. I thought that was mm. gonna be a call to someone to step up and come apply their Absolutely. skill set.
1: Please, please <laughs> front end and design is not my forte. The mm. back end is neat and works very well. But the systems, yeah, the, the system exactly, exactly. <laughs> but how it looks is just functional. Uh, it's totally just functional at that point, which is fine by me. But mm-hmm. I also I can be a bit of a perfectionist, so I'd like it to be nice before, uh, before it goes out to the world.
0: Great, I love that, and thank you for Coi. You know, because <laughs> this is what it's about. It's about mm-hmm. this empowerment that you are providing and offering people in a very easy solution. Mm-hmm. To take some matter into their ho- own hands and then mm. at the same time off of their hands. So, mm, cool. yeah, yeah, what a um, beautiful story! And I'm really, really looking forward to seeing the app and to seeing how the journey unfolds. Thank you. Yes, and
1: I just feel like I need to put the slogan in here once, which is Hoi is making composting as easy as throwing it in the bin. Ah, don't, don't, don't!
0: The mic drop moment.
1: <laughs> Peace out. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This is so wonderful.
0: I will include your information and your details in the description of this. So if anyone wants to get on board the Hoi train, then they'll know where to find you. Yeah.
1: And if anyone wants to chat about it, get involved, please message me. It's an all hands on deck situation. Great. Thanks. (laughs) Thank you so much, Trace.